got the energy. Good. Bring that heat. Are, you re- are we recording already? We're recording right now. I'll Bring tell you how heat, I got the man. energy. <laughs> I ate a whole share size bag of peanut M&Ms right before we got on. I witnessed him do this. Do yes, it was horrifying <laughs> to witness. Just put them in my mouth whether I was hungry or not. I was just like, I need this energy. I need this energy. And you know what? They worked. I don't know what was in those M&Ms, but they're fucking working. I'm telling you, man. I uh, turned 41 on Friday. Yikes. Had myself a date. She bought me a coffee maker. She's the best. She bought you a coffee maker? She bought me a coffee maker. Damn. You can make soup in that. I had like three cups of coffee on Monday uh, before work, and I was not prepared for what that <laughs> caffeine and that what that caffeine was going to do to my system. I was. My God. <laughs> You were fucking feeling it. You posted on your Instagram story, I was, your personal I was, one, I think. It was a little crazy, but it was great. Um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. So, coffee coffee maker's the best. Um, you showed up, what, about 30 minutes ago, and I was still in my work uniform, which also we call fucking pajamas. Yes. Um, that's just how it, that's how it goes some days, you know? Hey, man, sometimes it just be like that. You yeah. don't have to get dressed for work. You don't get dressed for work. I work from home. I don't have to get dressed for work. I can walk around in a wife beater and shorts for the rest, for most of the day until I get ready to actually do something. But you got here. I changed into actual clothes. You did. Yes, you did. Bring- and then you sat there and you looked at TikToks and you ate an entire bag of M&M, peanut M&Ms. And then when I got the energy, we were ready to go. And we were, we're fucking ready, to, ready go? to go. Yes, we are. And we are going to bring the heat. We're gonna bring, bring the, the thunder. That's right. That's how we do it. Um, I have lost enough weight that I am now cold in my own house. Hell yeah. I'm wearing a shirt. I'm wearing a jacket right now because I'm cold because of the fan and the AC. So Hell yeah! As opposed to always being hot, I've moved on to the other. Anyway, enough about that. Been doing good. How about how about you? How well, it's been like four days maybe since we recorded, something like that. It hasn't really been that long. No, we record sporadically, but usually in like pretty close chunks. Um, so also right now we have our too scared to sleep merchandise out. Mm-hmm. We have a limited run of some. Uh, covid face masks uh i made one for myself and i thought that it was pretty cool so i tweaked the design a little bit and then we just decided to order a bunch of them if you guys are interested in that please let us know the more we can sell the more we can make and it's really exciting we're yes. very excited to actually be able to start making some merch stuff now i think that's a really a really cool step for us <laughs> it's uh i'm very hyped about this now that we have plus 200 listeners we feel like we're in the position to to do this exactly we have almost 230 listeners i think that means we're basically famous how many of those are us how many of those are our parents hey if it's less than two-thirds i'll take it two-thirds majority hell yeah well also uh because we didn't say it uh this is too scared to sleep our paranormal and true crime podcast (laughs) and we're back for another episode we hope you know that if you've already been listening for the last five minutes hey Every episode could be somebody's first episode. Oh, Who knows? True. Who knows? If Hi. you're here, I'm Dylan. Everyone loves me. That's Jake. People Apparently like him. Everybody loves you. Everybody loves your voice, and everybody thinks you're the better co better co host. It makes me murderously jealous. I know that we talk I'm about going this a to lot. Buy like a blue Jeffrey Dahmer barrel. Don't yes. do this to me. Uh, and I'm going to put it in the corner over there, and it's just going to be a reminder of what happens if your head gets too big. Gee, you're going, in the, you're going is... in the barrel. 
<laughs> this is super fun. This yeah. is a quirky environment that I work in. Isn't it? Oh, so man. Funny. We talk about this a lot, but it just it makes me happy to see how angry he gets. I'm really upset about this. It's so funny. I really am. I'm finally liked. It's so good. Mm, okay. Anyway, all right. Who do you want to, What do you want to do? You want to do your topic, my topic? Who goes first? Uh, let's do mine. I feel like you went first last time. Okay. Have you ever heard of Issei Sagawa? No. Excellent. Yes. Tell me everything. All right. I've got so much sugar going through my vein, my system right now. I'll listen. I know. I, you're actually like you sitting up. It? You're close to the mic. Can you see I it? I can see it in your right, eyes. Let's do it. There's a darkness in there. Let's move before I crash. All right. Awesome. So Issei Sagawa, born to a wealthy family on April 26, 1946. Uh, Issei Sagawa is a well-known murderer, cannibal, and Japanese celebrity. The fuck? Oh, yeah. Triple threat. So, as I said, he is a cannibal. Um, there are a couple different theories about his desire and obsession with cannibalism, like where it comes from. Uh, one of these is his own self-hatred, which is always super fun. Mm -hmm. um, Sagawa always had issues with self-image and self-hatred. He was a premature baby, and he comes at only four foot nine inches tall. Uh, he has more than once referred to himself as, quote, weak, ugly, and small. Uh, he has said that he thought... Or in his mind, um, by eating a healthy, beautiful woman, he would be able to absorb her energy and to make himself better. Wow. Interesting start, right? Yeah. Good. Uh, there is another interesting theory. This is just kind of a little fun fact for you. Uh, Issei Sagawa was also born with a rare disease in his small intestine, which some believe could be the root cause of his cannibalistic desire. Uh, the disease was treated immediately, and it was... Uh, or it was treated immediately after it was found. No official statement has been made on whether that was true or not, but speculation continues. Mm. So, going to the childhood, he grew up a fairly normal rich kid. Uh, he wasn't horribly abused or in a super religious household. As far as I could find, he never hurt or killed any small animals. Uh, so we're not really showing a whole bunch of warning signs. And then... He is plagued with nightmares of being eaten alive with the rest of his family, and later starts getting strange, bizarre desires. Jesus. Oh, yes, my friend. So, uh, according to him, his cravings began as soon as the first grade. He recalled feeling his urges first in the first grade. Uh, when he started seeing a classmate's thigh, he felt a strong desire to eat her. Uh, and after that, he had spoken about his dreams in which he was eating humans or being eaten alive, sometimes being boiled alive in a large pot. Oh, no. Yeah, real interesting headspace this clown's in, huh? So his fantasies soon grew to be mostly focused on tall, blonde European women, uh, which stemmed from his obsession with the animated Sleeping Beauty movie. Yeah, me too. <laughs> the difference is... Uh, he thought that the best way to show a beautiful woman how much you loved them would be to literally eat them, and I assume you don't also have that mentality? No. Okay. That's, uh, that's, that's exclusive to him. Okay, cool. Uh, these desires grew and grew until eventually he was actually almost caught. Uh, while living in Japan, he was once charged with the attempted rape of a woman, uh, even though his actual intention was to kill and eat her. 
Uh, luckily, he was unsuccessful in this first endeavor. And the story with that is when he was walking down the street, uh, headed home, I believe, he had spotted a tall blonde woman who was walking down the street, and he decided that he was just going to follow her home. Uh, when he arrived to the place that she was staying, he climbed in through a window. However, this was spontaneous. He had no plan, and he had no weapons. Mm. So what did he do? He decided to look around in her house to find a weapon to kill her with. Nice. Come on. Literal definition of a disorganized serial killer absolutely so as he was searching through the house um, the woman that he was following was asleep and he eventually found something that would work one report i saw said that he found an umbrella that he was gonna try and kill her with uh, but by this point the woman woke up screamed and called the police uh pretty much immediately causing sagawa to flee the scene mm -hmm. he was caught and obviously this was not ideal but, of course, he comes from a wealthy family. So they were pretty well able to sweep it under the rug. Nothing really happened with that. Because rich people. Always. It's always a fucking rich people. So as a student throughout uh, childhood up into his teenage and young adult years, um, his grades and class performance were always exceptional. He had a huge passion for learning and studying. But despite his good work in school and his parents' desire for him to attend a high-class Japanese school, it was determined that he would be sent overseas for schooling. Uh, all the way to the University of Paris to study literature. This was part of an elaborate and expensive plan made by Sagawa's father in an attempt to put distance between his son and the recent break-in and attempted rape charge that he had just accrued. <laughs> no kidding. So, flash forward a little bit, we are now in Paris. You say Sagawa is attending a school in Paris, uh, but now that he is away from Japan, away from his family and the responsibilities of home, he begins feeling the murderous urge even more strongly now. Uh, he's away from friends, family, all that jazz. So he decides, now's the perfect time to go ahead and test the waters and see what, what's going on, you know? So Sagawa begins bringing home prostitutes with the intention of murdering and cannibalizing them. He had purchased a rifle uh, that he kept in his apartment. So he began bringing these prostitutes home. Uh, however, he had yet to follow through with any of this. Um... He brought home a couple different prostitutes. This one is just like a one-off thing. But he said every time that he was ready to kill them, uh, he said that his fingers would just freeze up and he couldn't follow through. Okay. That is until mm. 1981. Until he has a breakthrough. Until he has a breakthrough. And that breakthrough is the meeting of a Dutch student at his academy whose name is Rene Hartevelt. Uh, he fell deeply in love with Hardevelt because she was a beautiful blonde woman. She was obviously taller than him. Uh, and she was studying to get her PhD in Germanic literature. Beautiful blonde woman. Sagawa befriended Renee and even invited her over for dinner a couple different times. And they went to tour art galleries, etc. Um, you know, they were just kind of hanging out and being friends. And after a while of friendly interaction, uh, Sagawa asked to hire her for special German language lessons, which helped bring them even closer than before, as this was the perfect arrangement for Renee, because Sagawa is very rich, still has access to his father's funds, so he says, hey, this person that I'm already friends with, come over to my house, I'll pay you a whole bunch of money, and you get to teach me the thing that you're studying right now. 
worked out really well. She really enjoyed that. But it was obvious that Issei had feelings for her, uh, but Renee sought to keep their relationship purely platonic. Mm-hmm. And Issei Sagawa agreed until their final tutor lesson. Before their next meeting, Sagawa decided that the time to act was now. He readied his gun and awaited her arrival at his home. So after a little bit of time, Issei Sagawa tells her that he wants to videotape her reciting a German poem so that he can watch it over and try and get a better understanding of this. So Hartvel is getting the poem ready to go. Uh, Sagawa leaves the room under the guise of getting a camera, returns with a rifle, and shoots her in the back of the neck. What? Instantly, she is reading this German poem, trying to get a, a handle on it, and then, bam, there's a hole in her neck. Was she dead? She died instantly. Well, at least that's a comfort, I guess. Yeah, so she didn't have to suffer. Renee did die instantly, and after Issei Sagawa recovered from the shock of murdering her, uh, he began to have sex with her corpse. You know, as Ooh. these kinds of people do. He later stated, quote, The first thing I did was cut into her buttock. No matter how deep I cut, all I saw was the fat beneath the skin. It looked like corn, and it took a while to actually reach the red meat. The moment I saw the meat, I tore off a chunk with my fingers and threw it into my mouth. It was a truly historic moment for me. Later he even said of the meat that, quote, It melted in my mouth like raw tuna in a sushi restaurant. Yeah! So, one thing that's really interesting about Issei Sagawa is that he has actually done a whole lot of interviews, and he's written books about his experience with the murder. He's written books about the, you know, thought process he had, and the different, like, dreams and nightmares and shit that he had. So, there's a lot of direct quotes from him where he just describes what this wild shit was like. So, we get a lot of first-hand quotes from him, and it's really creepy, actually. So he has now killed and is eating Renee Hardevelt, and later the reports revealed that he had removed 22 pounds of her flesh, which he ate over the span of three days. Uh, he focused mostly on her breasts and face, and he also took a number of photographs of the different stages of her flesh being removed, uh, which he kept in his apartment. Good God. Good God indeed. And nobody thought to look for her? I guess not. I don't know, man. But an upside is that after these three days of him eating her, he decides that he's now done with the remains of her. So he chops her up, puts her into two suitcases, and decides that he is going to berid himself of her remains in a lake that was near his apartment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he has got the remains of Renee in these two suitcases. But the thing is, he doesn't think to wrap them up or put any covering inside the suitcase so a bystander saw how much the small man was struggling to carry these two very heavy suitcases that were dripping with blood and so he helps him out or calls the calls the cops the bystander does call the cops jesus christ uh this alerts sagawa because he's able to obviously see that this dude is just like hey bro what the fuck So Sagawa does what any man in that situation would do, uh, and he sets down the two bloody suitcases and goes home. 
So he left the suitcases on the ground, he returns home, and he's just kind of chilling. He doesn't have very long, though, uh, before the French police come and break into Sagawa's apartment and arrest him. Unfortunately, it took two days for the police to get a search warrant. What? I don't know why, but apparently they needed two days before they could get the warrant in to go to Sagawa's apartment. But they got it. He was at home because he didn't think to run away, I guess. And he was promptly arrested. And once he was arrested, he openly admitted to the French police what he had done. He had stated pretty explicitly, quote, I killed her to eat her flesh. <laughs> Just comes out and says it. Just comes out and says it. There's no sense in not, I guess. He was detained for two years in a prison until his trial came. <sighs> Bringing it back to the fact that he has rich parents. Can you guess what happens? Please tell me his case was thrown out. It's a step above that. So Issei Sagawa never actually had to go on trial. Uh, his father, the rich man that he was, was able to afford a top-tier lawyer who spoke on behalf of Sagawa uh, and convinced the French judge presiding over the case to declare Sagawa legally insane, unfit to stand trial, and sentenced him to a medical institution with the charges of the murder dropped. What the fuck? So Sagawa is sentenced to a mental institution, but unfortunately the case is dropped. However... While he's in the care of this mental institution, Sagawa received a visit from the author Inohiko Yomota, Yom. Yom. Uh, Yomota, who after interviewing Sagawa published his book, uh, which was titled In the Fog, which gained a lot of traction, turning Sagawa into a celebrity in Japan. This unexpected stardom and the influence of Sagawa's father trying to get Issei Sagawa returned back home assisted in the French government's decision to deport Sagawa back to Japan. Now, Issei Sagawa is back in Japan. He is sent to uh, a different asylum in Japan, so he's not totally out of the woods yet. However, after his short stay in the Japanese mental institution in the year 1986, only five years after his crime, he is reassessed by Japanese doctor and declared legally sane. He is allowed to leave the mental institution, and because the charges were dropped in Paris, the Japanese law enforcement couldn't pursue him. So he's a free man. He leaves the mental institution and is just good to go. Just like that. Just like that. After only five years of just kind of chilling, uh, he spent two years in the prison waiting trial, and then three years between two different mental institutions, and now he is a free man. And so he already had a little bit of celebrity from that book, from the interview when he was in the uh, mental institution previously, but obviously the news of him just being able to be free is giving him a little bit more traction, a little bit more celebrity. Mm -hmm. uh, over in the course of the next couple years, Issei Sagawa is interviewed for a bunch of different news organizations, um, and then it starts getting a little bit weird. One of the things I thought was really interesting about this particular dude, he only murders the one girl up until this point in the story. But after he is free, he just becomes a celebrity. So he's interviewed for different news organizations. He's appeared on game shows. 
He's been an actor in films. He's given speeches and talks on a number of occasions. Uh, he, I did see a report that said he briefly did porn. I don't know if that's true, but I really hope it's not. Um, he also became a freelance food critic for a while. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. So once the main portion of his celebrity had died down a little bit more, uh, he focused his effort on writing a series of books which detailed his murder and his other twisted fantasies, uh, in which many of these quotes and details of the accounts actually come from. He continues to talk in interviews and write books uh, in which he, open he still openly admits that he feels the urge for cannibalism. He stated that he wants to eat another woman before he dies, and he hopes that he gets to eat a Japanese woman next. He's saying all of this wackadoo shit, all while also trying to push forward the idea that cannibalism isn't an abominable act or something evil. He stated that his actual focus isn't on the murder, he says he wants to taste living flesh. Uh, for him, cannibalism is not about the murder, but rather about rather about the meal and the satisfying the desire for human flesh. Yeah, so this guy, and he's still doing this stuff. He's still a free man. He's still looking, you know, he's still writing. He's still showing up in things. As recently as 2015, there was a documentary about him where they just talked to him about the case and about his urges and everything that's happening. Issei Sagawa is still a free man. We don't know if he's killed anybody else yet. He at least hasn't been caught. But he is still openly admitting that he wants to kill and eat another person, that he wants to try living human flesh, and he still feels cannibalistic desires, all the while making money off of this shit. Jesus Are you Christ. fucking kidding me? It says here that in 2013, he had a cerebral infarction, basically a stroke. And he's under the full-time care of his brother, so maybe there is some justice in this world. Yeah. He is not actively up and moving around now. He is now disabled. Uh, but he's still alive, and he's still a free man. Yeah. Luckily, he probably won't be able to kill and eat anybody anymore. Um, he only did one, but one is still not great. But he is just a really weird dude, and it's weird the level of celebrity that he gained over... Not only being a murderer and cannibal, but then just getting to walk away free like nothing even happened. That's disgusting. Yes, it is. Because why? Because rich people! Yeah, that's basically what it was. Eat the rich. Yeah, that happens. Eat the rich. Let them eat each other. Exactly. Anyway, that was Issei Sagawa. Um, really weird dude. He's very weird to look at, too. I can see, you know, I was looking into him and I can kind of, you know, I don't want to sound super mean, but also he killed and murdered somebody. So he's a weird looking dude. He's very small and he's just got this weird look in his face and just he kind of a like weird a goblin. He looks like a goblin. He does look like a goblin. He's just a weird looking guy who has weird looking fantasies to match it. Yeah, that's disgusting. Thank you for that. You're welcome. You I, hope, I hope <laughs> that you thoroughly enjoyed uh, this cannibal. Yeah, I was hoping and, to uh, eat afterwards, and now I am without an appetite. That's why I ate beforehand. Thank you for thank you for that story. You're welcome. But if you're ever interested in learning more about what human flesh tastes like, or uh, you know what goes through the mind of a murderous Japanese cannibal, you can listen to any number of his books or 
watch any number of the movies that he's been in or that documentary. Disgusting. Jeffrey Dahmer said that when he ate humans, uh, when he ate human flesh, that the ones with the tattoos taste the worst. Excellent. I'm safe. Yeah, you're covered in tattoos. Good for you. Good for you. That's the whole reason why I'm doing it. It's probably if anyone asks. All right. Is that it? That's it. That's it for me, my friend. Okay. We will take a short break and I will be back with mine. Hello, we're back. Hey, okay, so we're back. Okay, so I made the mistake of telling Dylan two minutes ago what the subject of my, or what the topic was that I was going to be talking about. And ever since he has gone off the rails and I told him, everything you're saying right now is so ridiculous that we need to start recording. Okay, I'm going to be talking about the Dybbuk box. I'm so excited. Okay, I'm a, so a excited. particular Dybbuk box that came, around, that came about that started a trend. But as we're talking about this, Dylan was like, Oh my god, you can get on eBay and you can buy a Dybbuk box. Yes, you can. But most of them are probably bullshit. Yes, they are, but you can buy a Dybbuk box. He's like, look at this one. It's wrapped in barbed wire and sealed with wax. And I'm thinking to myself, bitch, if you've got $2,000 of disposable income and you want to buy something like that, I'll go and make one and then you can give me the money. Okay, no, but I'm seeing some of these. I sorted by price uh, and shipping lowest first. You can buy some under $20, my man. Discount Dybbuk boxes. <clears throat> You're going to get what you pay for, which is a bullshit box with but nothing in it. But it'll look cool. Probably some guy farted in it. Not studio. This is my home. And you're not keeping anything like that in my home. You just said that they were bullshit. I've spent my entire life trying to outrun the occult and evil spirits. And I'm not about to bring something else into the house. There is one for sale on Facebook Marketplace for $50. This is like some creepy-ass old wooden box, and it's got red wax dripped all on the top of it and, like, around the seams, and it's got big-ass nails sticking out of it. Look at this shit. Dylan, that looks like a a 17-year-old art student's final project that he ended up getting a B. I know, but it looks cool. It's not cool. You know it's not cool. We have different opinions on Dybbuk boxes. It's ridiculous. Please tell your stories. Listen, I'm ser- I'm serious. I could make one that looks more dramatic than those, and it's not going to have anything. It's not going to have any supernatural ties to it. I mean, I could too. Yes, obviously. The real ones are the ones that aren't being sold. They're buried somewhere. I know, and I want one of those so bad. Mm-hmm. Or like someone's holding on to it, and it, it consumes their, it consumes their thoughts, and it's draining their life energy. God, that's so cool. Like the ring of power. Ah, oh, that's so cool. Anyway, okay. So the story of this particular Dybbuk box, which is the Dybbuk box, quote-unquote Dybbuk box, starts in 2003. Um, a guy by the name of Kevin Manis posted the Dybbuk box on eBay. Okay? It was a simple wooden wine box. Um, you can go we'll go to our web, go to our Instagram and look at a photo because we'll post a photo of this Dybbuk box. It had an odd assortment of small objects in it, ranging from a couple of pennies to a couple of candlestick holders and even a granite statue inscribed inscribed with the word Shalom on it. Um, However, it wasn't the old-fashioned wine box and the trinkets within that interested potential buyers, as Manus, Manus included a convincing story along with the item description, chronicling a series of horrific events that supposedly began during the Holocaust. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. So according to Manis, he purchased the box from the granddaughter of its original owner at an estate sale back in 2001. 
At the time, he owned a small furniture refinishing shop, and he wanted to find something that he could work on to later give to his mother as a gift. Um, I'll tell you the story, but I'm, I'm giving an overview of the story. Apparently, the box had belonged to a Holocaust survivor who had acquired it after escaping to Spain and later brought it with her when she immigrated to the United States. The granddaughter supposedly claimed that um, her grandmother was adamant about keeping the box locked um, and never touching it and insisted that it contained a dimmick which is some sort of uh, Jewish evil spirit. Alternate sources say that the word Dybbuk is made up, but that's up to you to uh, investigate. Though Manus wasn't aware at the time, a Dybbuk mean, comes from a Hebrew word meaning to cling, and in Jewish folklore, it usually refers to an unclean spirit that torments victims until it's removed via a traditional exorcism ritual, which we've talked about in recent, uh, in recent episodes. So after purchasing the box and relocating it to his shop, the horrors began. Um, and I'll go ahead. Um, I found um, I found a website somewhere that had the archived uh, story uh, that was actually put onto eBay from Manus. So it says here, all the events that I'm about to set forth in this listing are accurate and may be verified by the winning bidder with copies of hospital records and sworn affidavits that I am including as part of the sale of the cabinet. Oh hell yeah! You're such a, you're such a fool. I you're being am such a fool about this bullshit. I love it. God Almighty! I love it. Jesus Christ! During September of 2001, I attended a state an estate sale in Portland, Oregon. This is what Manis says. The items liquidated at this sale were from the estate of a woman who had passed away at the age of 103. A granddaughter of the woman told me that her grandmother had been born in Poland, where she grew up, married, raised a family, and lived until she was sent to a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. She was the only member of her family who survived the camp. Her parents, brothers, a sister, husband, and two sons, and a daughter were all killed. She survived the camp by escaping with some of the other prisoners and somehow made her way to Spain where she lived until the end of the war. I was told that she had acquired the small wine cabinet listed here in Spain, and it was one of the only three items that she brought with her when she immigrated to the United States. The other two items were a steamer trunk and a sewing box. Manis says, I purchased the wine cabinet along with the sewing box and some other furniture at the estate sale. After the sale, I was approached by the woman's granddaughter who said, I see you got the Dybbuk box. She was referring to the wine cabinet. I asked her what a Dybbuk box was, and she told me that when she was growing up, her grandmother always kept the wine cabinet in her sewing room. It was always shut and set in a place that was out of reach. The grandmother always called it the Dybbuk box. When the girl asked her grandmother what was inside, her, what was inside, her grandmother spit three times through her fingers and said a Dybbuk and Kesselim. The grandmother went on to tell the girl that the wine cabinet was never, ever to be opened. The granddaughter told me that her grandmother had asked that the box be buried with her. However, as such a request was contrary to the rules of Orthodox Jewish burial, the grandmother's request had not been honored. I asked the granddaughter what a dibbik was, uh, what a dibbik or what Kesselin were, but she did not know. I asked if she would like to open it with me. She did not want to open it as her grandmother had been very emphatic and serious when she instructed her not to do so. And regardless of the reason, she wanted to honor her grandmother's request. I finally ended up offering her, offering to let her keep what seemed to be a sentimental keepsake. At that point, she was very insistent and said, no, you bought it. No, 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 you bought it. 
I explained that I didn't want my money back and that it would make me feel better to do what I thought was an act of kindness. She then became somewhat upset. Looking back now, the way she became upset was just plain odd. She raised her voice to me and said, you bought it. You made the deal. Oh, no. Right. Oh, my. When I tried to speak, she yelled, we don't want it. She began to cry, asked me to leave and quickly walked away. I wrote the whole episode off to stress and grief and she must have been experiencing. I took my purchases and politely left. At the time when I bought the cabinet, I owned a small furniture refinishing business. I took the cabinet to my store and put it in my basement workshop where I intended to refinish it and give it as a gift to my mother. I didn't think anything more about it. I opened my shop for the day and went on, went to run some errands, leaving the young woman who did sales for me in charge. After about half an hour, I got a call on my cell phone. The call was from my salesperson. She was absolutely hysterical and screaming that someone was in my workshop breaking glass and swearing. Furthermore, the intruder had locked the iron security gates and she couldn't get out. As I told her to call the police, my cell phone battery went dead. I hit speeds of 100 miles per hour getting back to the shop. When I arrived, I found the gates locked. I went inside and found my employee on the floor in a corner of my office, sobbing hysterically. I ran to the basement and went downstairs. At the bottom of the stairs, I was hit by an overpowering, unmistakable odor of cat urine. Ew. Mm -hmm. There have never been any animals kept or found in my shop, he writes in parentheses. The lights didn't work either. As I investigated, I found that the reason the lights didn't work um, and also explained the sounds of the glass breaking. All of the light bulbs in the basement were broken. All nine incandescent light bulbs had been broken in their sockets and 10 four-foot translucent tubes were laying shattered on the floor as well. Oh, that's not ideal. Mm -hmm. I did not find an intruder. However, I should also add that there was only one entrance to the basement. It would have been impossible for anyone to leave without meeting me head on. I went back up to the speak with my salesman, salesperson, but she had left. She never returned to work after having been with me for two years. She refuses to discuss the incident to this day. I never thought of relating the events of that day to anything having to do with the cabinet. But then things got worse. Oh, boy. Yes. Worse is always so much better. Oh, absolutely. Worse is great for us. Absolutely. I tell you, nothing gets us more excited than... Than the, than the phrase, and things got worse. God, it's so good. Like, oh, hell yeah. As I already indicated, I had decided to give the cabinet to my mother as a birthday gift. About two weeks after I made the purchase, I decided to get started refinishing it. I was surprised to find that the cabinet has a unique little mechanism. When you open one of the doors, the mechanism causes the opposite door and the little drawer below to open at the same time. It's made very well. Inside the cabinet, I found the following items. One 1928 U.S. wheat penny, one 1925 U.S. wheat penny, one small lock of brown hair bound with a string, one small lock of black brown hair also bound with a string, one small granite statue engraved and gilded with Hebrew letters. I have been told that the Hebrew letters spell out the word shalom, one dried rosebud, one golden wine cup, one very strange black cast iron candlestick holder with octopus legs. Those are the items that are in the box. That's a weird-ass assortment. It's very strange. I saved all of the items in a box, intending to return them to the estate. The family had refused the items, so they will be included in the sale of the cabinet. So he tried to give those things back, and then they were told, they was told, no, we don't want anything in the cabinet. 
After opening the cabinet, I decided not to refinish it. I cleaned it and rubbed into in some lemon oil. It was at the same at this time that I noticed that there was an inscription in Hebrew carved into the back of the cabinet. I have no idea what it says or if it is significant. On my mother's birthday, which is October 28th, my mother called to tell me that she was going out of town with my sister for three days, and we postponed celebrating her birthday together until she returned. So this is October 31st. My mother came to my shop. We were going to have lunch together, but before we were going to leave, I gave her the wine cabinet. She seemed to like it. While she examined it, I went to make a phone call. I hadn't been out of sight more than five minutes when one of my employees came running into my office saying that something was wrong with my mom. When I went back to see what the matter was, I found my mom sitting in a chair beside the cabinet. Her face had no expression, but tears were streaming down her cheeks. No matter how hard or no matter how I tried to get her to respond, she would not. She could not. Oh. It turns out that my mother had suffered a stroke. Oh, no. She was taken to the hospital by ambulance. She ended up suffering partial paralysis and losing her ability to speak and form words. Um, he writes in parentheses, she has since regained the ability to speak. She could understand things being said to her at the time and could respond by pointing to letters of the alphabet to spell out words she wanted to say. When She's I asked like her, a human Ouija board. Sort of, yes, exactly. When I asked her the following day how she was doing, she teared up and spelled, spelled out the words, no gift. I assured her that I had given her a gift for her birthday, thinking she didn't remember. But she became even more upset and spelled out the word, the words, hate gift. Aw, that's mean. I laughed and told her not to worry. I told her I was sorry she didn't like the cabinet and that I would get her anything she wanted if she could promise to get well soon. Still, I didn't associate anything that had happened with the cabinet itself or anything paranormal. Frankly, I don't think I ever even used the term paranormal until last month. I'll try to make this short now, he says. I gave the cabinet to my sister. She kept it for a week, then gave it back. She complained that she couldn't get the doors to stay closed, and they kept coming open. There were no springs in the door mechanism, and I have never found that the doors come open. I gave it to my brother and his wife, who kept it for three days, then gave it back. My brother said it smelled like jasmine flowers, while his wife insisted that it put out an odor of cat urine. I gave it to my girlfriend, who asked me to sell it for her after only two days. I sold it it the same day to a nice middle-aged couple. Three days later, when I came open when i came to open the shop for the day i found the cabinet sitting at the front doors with a note that read this has a bad darkness i had no idea what that meant anyway i ended up taking it home then things got even worse excellent Excellent. (laughs) yes since the day i brought it home i began having a strange recurring nightmare i have recurring nightmares excellent every time i have this i have the horrible dream it goes something like this i find myself Walking with a friend, usually someone I know well and trust at some point in the dream. I find myself looking into the eyes of the person that I am with. It is then that I realize that there is something different, something evil looking back at me. Yes. At that point in my dream, the person I am with changes into what only can be described as the most gruesome, demonic-looking hag that I have ever seen. This hag proceeds then to beat the living tar out of me. Oh, this is good shit. I have awakened numerous times to find bruises and marks on myself where i had been hit by the old woman during the previous night still i never related the nightmares to the cabinet nor do i think i ever would have 
what kind of a fucking idiot is this? <laughs> None of this happens until he gets this wine cabinet and he still doesn't attribute it to the wine cabinet? <sighs> so stupid. Again, what is with you people? I don't know, man. What is wrong with your kind? God, I wish I knew. You make it so easy for me. But the only thing I can think is, God, I want that wine cabinet. Oh, God, of course you do. I think this might be why people like me more. I'm just so stupid. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> I have a beautiful voice, and I desperately want anything evil to happen to me. Why would you say that out loud, Dylan? I want ghosts, man. I have always wanted to live in a murder house. Don't say it in my house. I have always wanted to live in a murder Mm -hmm. house. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Jesus Christ. Okay. So about a month ago, how? Okay. This continuing with the story. About a month ago, however, my sister and my brother. And his wife came over to my house and spent the night. The following morning during breakfast, my sister complained that she'd had a horrible nightmare. She said that she recalled having it, having had it a couple of times before and went on to describe my nightmare exactly to the last detail. Yes. My brother and his wife froze as they listened and then chimed in that they had both had the same exact dreams during the night as well. The hair was standing up on the back of my neck and still is. As we talked... It became clear that the common denominator was that each of us had had the nightmare during the times that the cabinet was in our respective homes. I called my girlfriend and asked if she could recall having any nightmares recently. She described the same nightmare, same hag, everything. When I asked her if she remembered the date before when she had had the nightmare, she said she did not. Then I asked if it happened to be the night before she gave me the cabinet back to sell for her. She said, yeah. Hey, how did you know that? So obviously this idiot is finally realizing the correlation. It's all coming together now. Now then, since my family discussion, it seems like all hell is breaking loose. For a week afterward, I started seeing what I can only describe as shadow things in my peripheral vision. Been there before? In fact, numerous visitors to my house have claimed that they have seen these shadow things. I put the cabinet in an outside storage unit and was awakened when the smoke alarm in the unit went off in the middle of the night. When I went to see what was burning, I opened the door and didn't see any smoke. However, I did get hit with the smell of cat urine. When I went back inside, the smell was there in my house. I do not own a cat, and I never have. I went back outside and grabbed the cabinet. I brought it back inside and tried to research it on the internet while I was surfing. But while I was surfing the net, I fell asleep and once again had the same freaking nightmare. I woke up at around 4.30 a.m. when it felt... And smelled like someone was breathing down my neck. Oh, that's quirky. He woke up and he found that his house now smelled like jasmine flowers. And just in time to see a huge shadow thing go loping down the hall away from me. Oh, that's very good. You're welcome, Dylan. Oh, that's so good. You know what? Only you would say that because you've never had that happen happen to you. And I have, which is why I'm like, hell fucking no. Okay, not to that extent... But I have seen shadow figures. It could just be hallucinations, because apparently lupus can cause hallucinations. I don't know if you know that. I did not know that. Uh, yeah, but I've I've seen some shit, my friend. I have heard and seen some shit. Does it cause dementia because you're being an idiot right now? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? But are you fucking kidding me? If I woke up and saw a shadow figure, a giant shadow figure, just kind of big chilling, walking in through my apartment, I would lose my mind. I would be so excited. I cannot wait until you have a moment where it scares the shit out of you and you stop talking like this. Me too. Oh, God, whatever. 
If that moment ever happens where I get so scared where I stop saying I want it to happen, I will give you one hundred dollars. Mm, okay. You know what? Let's be realistic. I'll give you twenty bucks. Yeah, let's be realistic about this. Okay, he says, it's almost done. He says, I would destroy this thing in a second, except I really don't have any understanding of what I may or may not be dealing with. I'm afraid, and I do mean afraid, that if I destroy the cabinet, whatever it is that seems to have come with the cabinet may just stay here with me. I have been told there are people who shop on eBay that understand these kinds of things and specifically look for these kinds of items. Hell yeah. If you're one of these people, please, please, please buy this cabinet and do whatever you do with a thing like this. Help me. He writes again, you can see that I have no reserve price or minimum bid. If I can make things any easier, let me know and I will do everything within my abilities. One more note, on the same day my mom had her stroke, the lease to my store was summarily terminated without cause. Yikes. Yeah. Um, He wrote an addendum to it. It says, there's no way I can respond to all the emails I've received since I put this thing online. I'll try now to update and answer the most common questions I've been receiving. Number one, no, I'm not religious. No, number two, no, I do not wish to have or participate in any sort of exorcism or case study or photo sessions at my home. Number three, no, I will not sell any of the individual pieces which were originally found separate from the other pieces and the cabinet. So he's not going to part it out. No, I do not. This is number four. No, I do not speak Hebrew, Do nor do I know what the word Kesselin means. I don't know what it, I don't know that the word is even a Hebrew word. Number five. At the end of the auction, I have decided to take an opportunity to speak with the winning bidder for two reasons. To make sure that the winning bidder is a serious adult who has employed some valid reasoning skills in making the decision to accept whatever this is. I will not be judgmental. Do whatever you want or need after the sale. Um, B. To offer full details of the events that have transpired. After I have, carry, after I have carried out these responsibilities and upon payment, I will have the cabinet and its contents delivered by U.S. Mail, FedEx, or UPS to the winning bidder. At that point, I will have no further involvement with the matter in any way, shape, or form, period. Uh, Number six, to all of you who have offered to pray, I may not be religious, but I am certainly open to the possibilities, no matter what your religion be. Uh, Yeah, what your religion might be. Thank you. See, here's another update for everyone following this listening. No, no, I will not circumvent or make any deals outside of eBay, even for more money than the final auction price. Um, for those of you wanting to know, I am still if I am still experiencing any experiencing anything out of the ordinary. I thought everything was going okay until I got home on Friday, the thirteenth of June, and found that the fish in my freshwater aquarium, all ten, were dead on the Friday the thirteenth. Ah, beans. Mm-hmm. So numerous owners of the box have reported the strange phenomena accompanying it. Manis, of course, wrote this. Then a man named Josef Nitsky, a student at Truman University in Kirksville, Missouri, and the last person to auction the box on eBay, claimed that the box caused lights to burn out in his house and his hair to fall out. Another guy, Joseph Haxton, who's the director of uh, the Museum of Osteopathic Medicine in Kirksville, Missouri, had been following blogs regarding the the box, and then he bought it. Haxton wrote a book called The Dybbuk Box and claimed that he subsequently developed strange health problems, including hives, coughing up blood, and head-to-toe welts. His wife experienced bloody, weeping blisters after coming in contact with clothing he wore during a failed containment attempt. Yikes. His office also experienced, uh, experienced the bursting of light bulbs. Upon removal of the box from the museum, Haxton had locked the box in the back of his truck and 
parking it at his home in the evening. Haxton experienced nightmares of hag-like women, not unlike the kind, not unlike the kind that man is claimed to see. The final straw for Haxton was um, it happened while he and his son were watching television, and his son noticed a black flame-like mask, flame-like mass in the room with them. Haxton consulted with rabbis to try to figure out a way to seal the dibbic box, uh, the dibbic in the box again. Apparently successful, he took the freshly resealed box and hid it in a secret location, which he will not reveal. Damn. So aftermath. eBay has quite the history of hosting cursed objects. Hell yeah. Paranormal collectors and scam artists alike. Scam artists. I know. Uh, trade, allegedly trading haunted trinkets all around the globe since the site's inception. This questionable per- Questionable practice became so popular that the site eventually established a ban on intangible items, leading current vendors to add the following disclaimer or something like it to their listings. This is what it says. eBay does not permit the sale of spells, magic, or haunted paranormal objects, but this item is is being listed as a insert mundane object description here, like cigar box, wine box, cane. Mm-hmm. You must be 20, 21 years of age to bid on and purchase this item for entertainment purposes only. That's their disclaimer. Of course, the popularity of this kind of post has met, led many to believe that Manis' original story was just an attempt to spice up a regular listing in order to make it more marketable. However, while the original post was quite successful for its, for its time, it was sold to a college student for a mere, for a mere $140. Less than a year later, the new owner relisted the box on eBay after claiming that he too was being affected by its curse. Um, he eventually sell he even he would eventually sell it to a professor and museum director by the name of Jason Haxton, which I already talked about. Which is when the box achieved true international notoriety, because in 2011, Haxton published a book that put the Dybbuk box back in the public consensus, reviving the original story and adding to it as he claimed to have also suffered great misfortune during his time with the object. The original box was purchased from Jason Haxton by paranormal investigator Zach motherfucking Baggins. Fucking Zach Baggins. It is now kept as an attraction in his haunted museum in Las Vegas. Prominent musician Post Malone, who we talk about all the time. I know. Claims to have been per- cursed by the box in 2018. As I was... have that article up right okay, now. You're going to get to read it in a second. It. As he was present during one of Baggins' attempts to open it, though the de- details of the story are quite sketchy. Regardless, it seems that the box has gone dormant for now and it won't be put for sale up for sale anytime soon. In 2012, paranormal investigator Tim Wood paid about $20 for a Dybbuk box on eBay. Wood said that he bought a Dybbuk box before they had become trendy. Um... Even though his Dybbuk box came with instructions that warned the buyer never to open the contraption, Wood went, went ahead and, and did it anyway. He Me filmed too. it too. Wood, spit, Wood said that he has experienced hauntings manifesting as shattered glass, rancid smells, and uh, that led to him res, uh, that led to him resealing the box and burying it in an undisclosed location somewhere in California. Quote, I'm not going to tell anybody ever where it is. Nice. Nice. But God, since you have I supplemental information, tell us about stupid Post Malone and stupid <laughs> Zach Baggins. Um, yeah, so I had pulled up that article where it said uh, Post Malone believes that he is cursed because of the Dybbuk box uh, from 2018. 
Uh, it says that he believes that he has been cursed, uh, and then he lists just a couple different things that had happened for a run of bad luck of his. Um, he says after going onto the Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures, where he met Zach Baggins and talked about the Dybbuk box, uh, he had experienced his plane's tires blowing out, uh, his Rolls Royce was in a car accident, and the house that he had just left was robbed. And it's just... God, it's so cool. I hope it's true. Also, I hope Post Malone is okay. Seems like a pretty cool dude. It was 2018. I think he's thriving now. So. I hope so. He was in a Bud Light commercial last last year for uh, the Super Bowl. Oh, there you go. Well, at least he's not dead. Or if he is, he's possessed by a ghost that's doing a really good job. Um, but I just think it's really cool. There really wasn't a whole lot in this article. It was just like, Post Malone thinks that he's been haunted. And it's like, following his adventure on ghost tours, his plane's tires blew up and his yeah. fucking car got into a wreck and his house got broken into. Uh, which is weird shit. But the entire time that you have been talking about this, I've been listening, but I've also been looking up Dybbuk boxes. Uh, and then I also did look up haunted dolls just cause I always end up going back to haunted dolls. You are falling asleep in front of me. You aren't have you? a thing for haunted dolls. Don't you? I do. I Freaking really do. Psycho. I have a whole bunch of haunted dolls that are just chilling in my kitchen. Hmm. They're so good. Shout out to Iris for giving me those. Um, but one of these Dybbuk boxes that I found on eBay is $66 and 66 cents. Of course. Of course it is. Uh, but I really love this title. Haunted Dybbuk box, witch cursed warning is extremely active in all caps will ruin your life. (laughs) So we'll get him married to a Caucasian woman. It's a fair point. Actually, it's pretty good. Blonde um, ones. But there are so many Divic boxes. Glasses and scrubs. On a... <laughs> Throwing it out there. You good? Also watch out for tall ones who have pixie cuts. And motorcycles. So fucking break your heart. Oh, pobrecito. But there are a lot of Divic boxes on eBay. And you can buy some as cheap as seventeen ninety five. This one is $9, and it just says Haunted Ring, used in Ouija Ceremony, Spirit of the Ring from Dybbuk Box. I don't know what that means, but it's $9, and I really want it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of these. They're all wrapped up in wire, and they're sealed off in wax, and they just look cool as shit. But this isn't a Dybbuk Box, but I did really, really want to tell you about this particular thing that I found on uh, OfferUp. Okay. This is Tommy the Haunted Doll crucified on a Ouija board. Oh, Jesus Christ. Come on. For $250. I want want you to see this image that I'm showing you, Jake. It's not good. No, it's not. But the fucking description of this is so fucking good. Tommy the Haunted Doll crucified on a Ouija board. I took Tommy to a dark medium to see if she could contact him, and she told me to leave him with her because she knows how to make him more powerful and active. So I did, and when I came back, she had him crucified on a Ouija board. She said she talked to him and used some sort of enchantment. Also, not to talk bad about him or anger him in any way. Uh, And there is a lot more voices and objects he likes to hide. Bumps in the night and whispers. Our light bulbs have blown out suddenly. We see strange shadow figures, but they move too fast to get a good look. He is extremely active now. Serious buyers only, please. This is from St. Louis, Missouri. 
You gonna go and grab one? I'm. Whew, if it wasn't two hundred fifty dollars, I will say I'm pretty tempted by some of these Dybbuk boxes on eBay. Um, there's also this really cool article that I just found on mysanantonio.com. Shout out to the San Antonio area. The article starts with, it wasn't long after Jason Haxton received the package in the mail, he said that his eyes turned bloodshot, he broke out in welts and hives, and he began choking. Mm -hmm. Dybbuk boxes are so fucking wild. And it's really cool seeing it. I've also been looking through the images of it um, just on Google. It's a really interesting looking box. And then I have to see fucking Zach Baggins' stupid face Mm -hmm. standing next to it, posing all goofy, looking like a emo kid rock we don't like zach baggins because he's a sensationalist and we know legitimate paranormal investigators here in san antonio that are friends of ours who are doing it from an air of humility and uh, they're helping people and zach baggins is just a media whore who's in it uh to make himself rich yeah and even if he had like if it if he was just famous and rich because of this, but he still had like a good heart behind it and still wanted to go out and help people, that would be a totally different thing. But he's just a dick to the ghosts. Yeah, he seems to just want to antagonize people, uh, antagonize the spirits. And like, trust me, I want to see spooky shit. I get the urge to want to see it, especially if you have a TV show. But you don't be a dick to ghosts, dude. Mm-hmm. But he is, which is why we hate him. Yes. But... Anyway, I think the Dybbuk box is really cool. Um, I'm going to try and convince Zach Baggins to sell it to me. He's never going to do that. No. I'll see if he'll take 20 bucks. Yeah. And then, if it works, you'll get 20 bucks too. Oh, will I? Okay. Sure. All right, cool. I'm going to start holding my breath for that moment right now. That's my story. Awesome. Wasn't it good? Oh, God. It was so great meat. God, I love it. I love this kind of shit, man. Haunted objects. Dybbuk boxes are so cool. Uh, If you guys find, if any of our 227 listeners uh, follow us and see a cool Dybbuk box online and you think, hey, I think my favorite co-host Dylan would really like that, you can definitely send it to me. If you buy a Dybbuk box, I will come get it from you. If you live DM him and he'll give you his address. I will do that. I will 100% do that. I absolutely want a haunted item, some sort of haunted artifact. So, you know, just throwing that out there, trying to manifest some shit. But anyway, that was a cool story, Jake. I'm glad you brought that one because I really like the Dybbuk box. It's Mm -hmm. another one I was considering. Yeah, it's a good one. Excellent. Well, I guess that's it for us, right? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Well, from Dylan, my co-host, my name is Jake, and we hope we've left you too scared to sleep. recording now we are recording now we are back jake has done his uh urination like an old why do you have to put me on blast like that (laughs) okay we'll cut it out jesus christ